did everything he could give me introductions guidance warnings propaganda lies i didn't mind i wanted the treatment from both sides but because the plo were strangers to me i wanted them to have first go i pressed the bell and the bored fit men in the street eyed me without expression so did the cameras on the roof the door opened and i stepped into an armored glass coffin set on end the door clicked shut behind me while I stood in my nice suit, peering through the glass into the pretty eighteenth-century hallway, two Arab heavies studied me with liverish disapproval. My coffin opened. I stepped into the hall. The men closed on me and patted me down, the long, slow, methodical hand-search of professionals. They do it to you at Lod Airport in Tel Aviv, or in the antechamber to Yasser Arafat's permanently temporary headquarters. And they do it to you in Green Street, or they did then. They don't just frisk you, these Arab and Jewish bodyguards. They interrogate you with their hands and eyes, watching you for suspicious body talk as they move slowly over you. Time is of the essence. Take as much of it as you like. Make the suspect conscious of his genitals, his bad breath, his bad intentions. Writing the little drummer girl... I was searched like this more times than I'll ever remember. But you never forget a first time. And mine was in Green Street that midday on my way to visit Mr. Ramlawi. And of course Mr. Ramlawi didn't show up. He left me standing at the altar. There was nothing in his appointments book. His secretary had never heard of me. He was abroad. He was out. He was busy. Try another day. So that was another first time. Countless Arabs have kept me waiting since. I could do a book on the antechambers of the PLO alone. But the absent Ramlawi gave me my baptism of fire, which is a bad joke because his predecessor in London had been shot dead and Ramlawi himself was in due course shot dead in Spain. Or perhaps he was blown up, I forget. But the PLO won't forget. After Green Street, I did what I should have done in the first place and got hold of Patrick Seal, the distinguished Arabist and writer, and gave him the lunch I couldn't give Ramlawi. And through Seal I began to leapfrog, which is how it goes when it's going properly, and you're making the inward and outward journey at the same time. People led to other people. I was passed around, pointed in conflicting directions. My telephone never stopped ringing. Everybody wanted to persuade me of something, head me off from some fatal error. My case had finally become active as far as the Palestinians were concerned. From then on, like my heroine, Charlie, I rode the emotional pendulum, swaying first this way, then that, as I went back and forth, most often via Cyprus, between Israel and the scattered Palestinians. One week I was with the Palestinians in Lebanon or Jordan or Tunisia. The next I was in Jerusalem or Tel Aviv or the Negev, or on one disastrous occasion, crossing the Allenby Bridge from the Jordanian side while afflicted with dysentery. My friend David Greenway, then of the Washington Post, was with me, and I will never forget watching him as I crouched miserably in the back of our car, stride confidently down the line of parked lorries to the checkpoint, and by throwing out the name of every Oriental dignitary he knew, persuading the guard to let us go first. On another occasion, Greenway and I had ourselves driven up to an old crusader fort on the extreme southern borders of Lebanon. The Palestinians were still in occupation, just. I'll never know which I was more afraid of, 
the sniper fire from the valley, or the driving technique of our Druze driver, who prayed in grunts each time he flung us round another hairpin bend. Greenway was based in Jerusalem in those days, and like myself, covering both sides of the conflict. It took an awful lot of waiting to meet Yasser Arafat. I had wasted the requisite number of infuriating hours in the evil little anteroom to the PLO office in Beirut, studying the mangy exhibits of Israeli cluster bombs and napalm canisters while I waited to be received by their spokesman of the day, a Mr. Lapadi. I had nearly asphyxiated myself, breathing the stale cigarette smoke that clouded the offices of Arafat's seemingly numberless desk-born heroes. "'You will be contacted at your hotel, Mr. John,' I had been told. "'Remain in your hotel, please, and wait.'